Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I am so honored to be here at Renewal Church. Uh, thank you, Pastor and Sister Puckett, uh, for hosting Danisha and I. It, it has been a joy um, to, just to connect more deeply, and I look forward to staying connected. And um, glad that my wife, Danisha, is with me. Yes, we will have been married 30 years this coming February. And... Uh, we started dating in high school, and uh, she broke up with me like three times, and uh, one of them I deserved, actually. One of them I actually did deserve, uh, but so glad. And yes, our, our son-in-law, Josiah, and our oldest daughter, Jada, are actually moving to Chicago this week, so um, I'm, I'm going to tell them that if they don't come to this church, it is not of the Lord if they don't come to Renewal Church. <laughs> so uh, honored to be here. Hey, I'm going to get right into the word. There's a word for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 14. Paul is writing and he says this, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. From this text, I want to speak to you on the title, Rise of the Reconcilers. Rise of the Reconcilers. God, I pray that this would be your message, that ultimately you would be speaking and I would just be the vessel that you've decided to use to say what you want to say to these, your beloved children, my sisters and brothers. God, I desire to be obedient to your word. So please let it be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Rise of the reconcilers. Well, uh, Denise and I, we are in Sacramento, California. We've been there uh, for five years at the church we're at. And uh, so much similarities between Midtown Covenant Church and Renewal Church of Chicago. We're, we're about 11 and a half years old. Uh, you're eight years old. Happy anniversary, Renewal Church. Uh, you're in the heart of the city. We're in the heart of the city. You're a multi-ethnic church. We're a multi-ethnic church. So I feel like I'm with family today. Uh, but, you know, you're, you're just getting to know me. 
And, and anybody that's around me for a while will come to the understanding that I really am into comic books and superhero movies. No, no, I'm really, I, I am an urban nerd. Uh, when it comes to comic books and superhero movies, I, I, I go and love to venture new comic book stores, and, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm into superhero movies. Now, I'm a Marvel Cinematic Universe guy, so yes, you know, I'm watching She-Hulk right now, and yes, I saw the second Doctor Strange, and yes, Thor, Love and Thunder, and we're kind of in phase four and a half, going into phase five of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I also love comic books, and so um, I'm, I'm more of a DC guy when it comes to comic books. And so, you know, the Batman series, Superman stuff, you know, I'm really into that. I mean, I know some stuff about the Bible, too. <laughs> but, but I'm really into superhero movies and comic books. And one of my favorite comic book series is a, a Superman series called Bizarro World. And uh, the story arc, the storyline of Bizarro World goes a little something like this. There's this other realm, this other world called Bizarro. And it is an evil, backwards, upside down world. Bizarro World is so evil, so backwards, so upside down that there's a person in Bizarro World who looks just like Superman, except he's as evil as Superman is good. And the backwards, upside-down, evil state of Bizarro World is threatening to invade planet Earth, specifically Metropolis. So Superman decides to make a sacrifice of himself, and he goes into Bizarro World to take on this evil threat. Now, to go with this story arc, you have to believe that for the most part, things on planet Earth are good. That, 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 you know, there's harmony, there's peace, there's love, there's joy. It, it's bizarro world that is broken and evil and upside down. But we learned something just a couple of years ago. When 2020 descended upon us, it just confirmed something that we probably should have already known. We live in bizarro world. This world in which we live is the upside down broken world. The, 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 the triune storm in 2020 of, 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 of racial unrest and political polarization and the pandemic showed us that we are in the broken, backward, upside down, bizarro world. Ah, but here's the good news. Over 2,000 years ago, someone greater than any comic book superhero ever written about, his name is Jesus, came into this bizarro, upside-down world. And when Jesus came into this upside-down world, he gave us a picture of what this upside-down world would look like if it was turned right side up again. And he called that the kingdom of God. And he declared and he demonstrated the kingdom of God. He went to the cross for our upside-down, bizarro lives so that our lives could be turned right-side up in the gospel. Then Jesus rose from the grave, and he went to be with the Father. Now, one day, Jesus will return. And when, when Jesus returns, all things will be set right-side up 
forever. We will live in the right side up kingdom of God. There will be no violence. There will be no division. There will be no human trafficking. There will be no violence as the primary means to solve conflict. There there will be no pandemics. We will live in the forever. But who are we to be in the meantime? I heard an old preacher once say, when Jesus returns, that's ultimate justice. But until then, it's just us. God has decided that the church would be a vehicle, would be an expression of the right side up people of God, the right side up kingdom of God until Jesus returns. This is why Renewal Church of Chicago is so important, to have a church that is a sneak preview of heaven. We need more center city, Christ-centered, multi-ethnic, multicultural churches that will rise in the midst of this broken, upside-down, bizarro world. Paul wrote 1st and 2nd Corinthians to a multi-ethnic, Christ-centered community in an urban, multicultural setting. I mean, Corinth back then would have been so much like Chicago today, a trading city, a, 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 a global city. And so when Paul wrote the first letter to the church at Corinth, he's talking to them about how they would live together as a new community, as a Christ-centered, multi-ethnic family. It's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, there are many gifts in this church, but it's one God. It's the same spirit. This church is like a body, and there's many members, and no member is greater than or lesser than another member. All the parts of the body are valuable, and this community is going to stay connected, 1 Corinthians 13, through faith, hope, and love. And so he's writing to them in the first letter about how they will live together as a new family. But in the second letter, he's talking about who they will be in their surrounding community. Who will they be in the city of Corinth? Who will they be in a broken, upside-down world? This is important because I believe that the pandemic changed the, the measuring stick, the scorecard, if you will, for how we measure a faithful and fruitful church. Before 2020, for the most part in the United States of America, we were measuring how well a church was doing, the health of a church, the quote-unquote success of a church based on how many people were coming in. So how many people are coming in? And there's nothing wrong with that because we want people to come to Christ. We want people to be baptized. We want people to be discipled. That's good. But we were primarily measuring the church based on who was coming in. Now, the church is going to be measured on the kinds of people the church sends out into the world. That's how, that's how the church is going to be measured. What, what people, it's, like, it's not about how many people are coming in the room. It's what character and quality of people are leaving the room, going out into a broken world. Paul is concerned about this. That's why he writes the second letter to the church at Corinth. So from a few verses in chapter five, I want to talk about how to rise as a reconciling church in a bizarro world. 
How do we rise to the occasion, sisters and brothers, as God's servants in a broken, upside-down world? So let's go back to the text. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 14. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. How do we rise as reconcilers? One, we must rediscover God's love. Rediscover God's love. Paul says God's love compels us. In the Greek, this means governs us, controls us. It means we have no escape from God's love. I mean, if somebody was on the run and law enforcement was after them and they got into a house and they were like just going to hunker down, but the police would say, come out with your hands up. You're surrounded. You can't get away. We're here. You got to come out. That, that, that's like the scene of God's love in our lives, that if we're going to rise as reconcilers, we have to discover that God's love is powerful. God's love is transformative. God's love surrounds us and we can't escape. You can go to the right, to the left, forward, backwards. God's love is unescapable. Why not just say yes to it? Why not just let it absorb our lives? Because here's the issue, sisters and brothers. I found over the years that there's certain things I can do in my own power and there's other things I can only do empowered by God's love. Like, like, here's an example. Uh, how you doing, man? I don't like you. See how easy that was? In the name of Ephraim, I can just look at somebody that I don't know and just go, I don't like you. See, I, I didn't need a small group for that. I didn't need an accountability partner to do that. I didn't need to fast and pray. I didn't need to go to a retreat. I didn't need a spiritual director. In the name of Ephraim, I can look at somebody I don't know and say, I don't like you. In the name of Ephraim, I can be jealous. I can live in sustained anger. I can be prideful. I can be arrogant. I can, I can do those things in the name of Ephraim. But, but to love mercy and do justice to walk humbly, to be a reconciler in a broken world, to be an influencer of God's good news, I need to be empowered by God's love. We must rediscover God's love. Thanks for being in the message. I'm sure we'll get along fine. Uh, I need God's love. When I officiate weddings at the altar, I'll say to the, the, the groom-to-be, I'll say, brother, look, I need to tell you this right now. You don't have the power in and of yourself to love this woman the way God desires that she would be loved. And, and if the sister's Pentecostal, she'd be like, that's right, Pastor, tell him. <laughs> but then I'll say to her, sister, I got to break the news to you. You don't have it in your own power to love this man the way God desires him to be loved. So what do you do with that? This is what we do. Every day, you've got, to, you've got to go before God and say, God, I give you permission to love my spouse through me. You know better how to love them. So I surrender myself to you. God, love through me. Echoes through me. Love my classmates through me. Love my neighbors through me. Love my enemies through me. 
To, to rise as reconcilers, we must rediscover God's love. It's what sent Jesus. It's what brings salvation. It, the Bible doesn't say, for God was so angry with the world, he sent his son. God so loved the world. We must rediscover God's love. Verse 16 says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. If we're going to rise as reconcilers, sisters and brothers, we must rediscover God's love. We must rediscover others and ourselves. Uh, this church is a diverse church, the church at Corinth. And so Paul understood that there were people groups coming into this church that in society they were formed, conditioned to be against each other. They were formed and conditioned by worldly points of views that decided who was smart, who was dumb, who was revered, who should be feared. There were social constructs that, that were, were impacting how Jews and Gentiles, how, how different cultural groups within Jewish culture, with the, the, the Gentiles just represented everybody else. It was like the Jewish people and everybody else was like the Gentiles, but they weren't unified. They were divided politically, ethnically, in so many ways. And so Paul is saying, if we're going to be a reconciling church and be reconcilers in a broken world, we have to see each other differently, no longer from a worldly point of view. There are many worldly points of views of seeing each other even today. One of them is the race structure, the social construct known as race. The social construct of race basically says the color of your skin, your physical features, we decide in this world who should be feared and revered, who's smart and dumb, who's fast and slow, who can clap on beat and who shouldn't bother, who should celebrate after they score a touchdown and who should just give the ball to the ref? Like we decide these things based on skin color, physical features, where you're born, your slang. This is a worldly point of view. Well, how do we see each other from a godly point of view? One, we must see each other as made in the image of God that you are made in the image of God. You are a product and construct of God's love. You are a design out of the overflow of God's love. You are made in God's image. Human beings were made different than animals. Like animals, God, God was like, we're gonna make animals in the sky, we're gonna make animals on the ground, we're gonna make animals in the water. And the animals are gonna stay after their own kind. That's how it's gonna work. So even though a giraffe and a hippopotamus are both on the land, they're going to be in their own kind. You're never going to see a giraffe look at a hippopotamus and say, hey, and they get together and make a hippograph. You're never going to see a hippograph because God designed them to be after their own kind, but that's not how God designed us. It's a worldly point of view to think that God said black people over here, brown people over here, white people over here, yellow people over here, red people over here, and now we'll decide who's smart, we'll decide who's innovative, we'll decide who can start a business and who can't, who should be in the mail room and who should be in the boardroom. That's a worldly point of view, and Paul is trying to get them to, you are all valuable, you're made in the image of God, you're gifted, you're talented, there's a purpose for your life. We also must 
discover others in ourselves or rediscover others in ourselves by knowing our ethnic heritage. There's nothing wrong with that. Ethnicity, culture is biblical. So, you know, I went to my family reunion this summer and, you know, reunion, because I'm black. And I would go there and every time they'd bring up our family tree, somebody who was black-ish would be presented. And then there were people in my family tree. I'm like, I don't, how did, how did he get in there? I found out on my family tree is Scottish, Irish, the indigenous of this land. I'm a multi-ethnic, multicultural human being. I'm, I'm, I'm Irish. Oh, I get into it. I drink green Kool-Aid on St. Patrick's Day. People follow me around the mall. I'm like, you don't have to follow me. I'm Irish. The world has an identity construct for me, but God has one greater for me because I'm multi-ethnic, but I'm also in Christ Jesus, a citizen of the kingdom of God. I am saved and redeemed. I am righteous and whole. I am the son. I am an heir. We are the sons and daughters of the creator of the universe. We must see each other differently in God's beloved community. Rediscover others and ourselves. Denise and I, we were fortunate to plant a church in Minneapolis that's still going on almost 20 years ago now called The Sanctuary. And uh, when we first were starting, and we had a smaller group of people, we used to have these meals where I would, I would ask people to bring uh, something that represented their upbringing or their culture. So we had like the collard greens next to the fried rice, next to the enchiladas. Man, we, we had like lasagna and fried catfish. I mean, we had pumpkin pie and sweet potato pie. There is a difference. There is a difference. But man, they made it into the same room. Now, two things we outlawed. Chitlins, you, you couldn't bring that because it's not of God. Or, or lutefisk. Is there anybody here who knows what lutefisk is? Oh, Lord. We had to, yes, yes. Only Satan would put chitlins and lutefisk. Side of that, we were like, bring something that represents your upbringing. And, and when we were eating one another's foods, I would say to the group, the same way we're digesting one another's foods, we need to digest one another's pain, one another's stories, one another's victories, one another's struggles. That's what it means to no longer see one another from a worldly point of view. I'm here to digest your story, your journey, that we might better journey together, rediscovering others and ourselves. But the second part of verse 16, it says, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Huh. We used to see Christ from a worldly point of view. Now, Paul knew something about this because he himself, at one point in his life, he had the wrong view of Jesus. He participated in persecuting people that were following Jesus until he met the real Jesus. When he met the resurrected Jesus, it changed his whole life. He had to rediscover Jesus because he had Jesus wrong. There are too many examples still in our nation right now of messages, proclamations 
declarations, aggressive postures that present a worldly Jesus. What do I mean by that? Well, let me introduce you to some worldly Jesuses today. There's the Republican Jesus. There's the Democrat Jesus. There's the American Jesus. There's the celebrity Jesus. There's like the genie Aladdin Jesus, where you just, you just like making wishes to him. There, there's, there, there's the pretty Jesus. Have you ever seen the pretty Jesus? Like I'm from Minneapolis originally, and I call it the Prince Jesus. Like he's just so pretty, I can't look him in his eyes. He's like, he don't have no mole, he don't have no acne, he don't have no birthmark. He just, just pretty, I just, I can't pray to him. He's just pretty Jesus. These are all worldly Jesuses. We must rediscover Jesus if we're going to rise as reconcilers. The Jesus of John 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. Nothing came into being without him. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Rediscovering the Jesus who is truly God, but also the Jesus who walked the earth as truly human. Matthew 1, that's the genealogy of Jesus. That's like the family reunion text of Jesus, the ancestry.com of Jesus. And in that genealogy, you'll realize that Jesus in his family tree, are the original inhabitants of what we call today Israel, Palestine, Ethiopia, Egypt, the Sudan, Libya, Iran, Iraq, Kuwait. All in the human bloodline of Jesus. Yes, Jesus was Jewish. Jesus was a Hebrew, but Jesus was multi-ethnic and multicultural. We can truly say, based on Matthew 1, when Jesus died on the cross for all of our sins, that blood coming out of him represented all of us. How can we reduce Jesus to white or black or conservative or liberal or American when the multicultural Messiah was on Calvary dying for every culture and every nation that all peoples might bow? That we truly one day will live in heaven where there's a multitude that no one can count from every tribe, nation, and language. We must rediscover Christ that we might rise and represent him in this bizarro world. And finally, verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 5, new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is not on the screen, but this is a bonus verse. Chapter 6 begins by saying, as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. We must rise so that we co-labor in Christ's work today. To do that, we must rediscover our ministry and message. Rediscover. We've been given the ministry and the message of reconciliation. In 2020, 
The church in the United States collectively had a message problem. Our message was not on the same page. Some pulpits had no message at all for what was going on in the nation. Some pulpits decided to spread a counterfeit message, kind of like peanut M&Ms. Like you put some Jesus on the outside of it, but what's in the middle is real nutty, real nutty. But you got some Jesus on the outside of it. We must rediscover that we're called to make disciples. We're called to participate in the advancement of God's kingdom. And we're also called to love mercy and do justice and walk humbly. To present biblical justice to a broken world. Why? Because sin has three dimensions. I don't know why y'all get more than the first service, but sin has three dimensions. Don't tell the first service I'm telling y'all this. There's sin in the soul, there's sin in society, and there's sin in Satan. And so some people just think that sin is just in the soul. So they'll just say, people need to get their heart right. People need to accept Jesus into their heart. People need to accept Jesus into their heart. That is absolutely true. But sin is also in society. But there's people that are fighting for transformation in society, but they're not interested in God working on their soul. So you can be fighting for justice and have no integrity because there's sin in the soul and there's sin in society and then there's sin in Satan, the spiritual warfare dimension. And some people believe in that, but they don't acknowledge the other two dimensions. So what happens is they just casting everything out. You cough, (coughs) I cast that out in Jesus' name. God ain't about colds and wheezing. I cast, I cast it out. And, and I'm, what I'm trying to say is that sin is in all those dimensions. But the good news is when we rise with Christ, we are now participating that salvation deals with sin in the soul. Giving a sneak preview of the kingdom of God deals with sin in society because Jesus is coming back to create a new heaven and a new earth, a new society, and we get a chance to give a preview of a new society in a broken world. And Jesus will defeat the beast, the dragon. Satan will be defeated. And so we have power to stand against Satan now if we rediscover our ministry and our message. You know, I'm supposed to close here, but there, there is one last thing I want to tell you. I, you know, I used to be Baptist, so, you know, we, we have two closes, but this is the close. It says here in verse 15, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Death. Ugh. I don't even like talking about death. I, I don't. But if God asked me how I want to die, I would tell God. Wouldn't that be awesome if God just came to you and said, how do you want to die? I would say, thanks for asking. This is how I want to die, God, just like this. On my 100th birthday, I want to wake up at noon. I mean, why am I getting up early? It's my last day. I'm sleeping in. And when I wake up at noon and I have my last earthly meal, I want it to consist, because my parents are from the South, 
My dad's from Louisiana. My mom's from Alabama. So I want my last earthly meal to be fried catfish, collard greens, macaroni and cheese, yams, warm cornbread with melted butter and honey on it with a tall glass of sweet tea followed up by a bowl of warm peach cobbler with two scoops of vanilla bean ice cream melting off the side of the bowl. And then I want to go to sleep and die. Just like that. Just like that. Oh, I wish God would do it. 100 years old, wake up at noon, fried catfish, collard greens, macaroni and cheese, yams, cornbread, honey and butter, and a tall glass of sweet tea, a bowl of warm peach cobbler, three scoops. I added a scoop of vanilla bean ice cream melting off the side of the bowl. Won't he do it? Do it, won't he? But no, he won't. God won't ask me how I want to die. But he does invite me to die to myself daily. He invites me to die to pride and arrogance, prejudice, sustained anger, selfishness. I wonder if every day is an opportunity for a funeral so that I can rise. I can't rise with Christ if I won't die with him. You know, there was a singer in the 1970s, Roberta Flack. She had a song, it was Killing Me Softly. It was remade by the Fugees later. And uh, I know I'm in church, but the song is about this woman who goes into a bar. And she gets a drink and she's sitting down and she's feeling bad. She's in sorrow. And she notices that there's a guy on the stage with a guitar and he's singing a song and she realizes the lyrics are about her every word in the song is about her life and she's saying this guy don't know me and I don't know him but he's singing my whole life and it's killing me but it's healing me maybe that's what you need to rise you need God to sing to your soul your whole life so that you can rise as God's reconciler. Strumming my pain with his fingers, telling my life with his words, killing me softly with his song, killing me softly with his words, telling my whole life with his song, killing me softly with his song. Strumming my pain with his fingers, telling my life with his words, killing me softly with his song, killing me softly with his words, telling my whole life with his words, he keeps killing me, killing me, killing me softly with his song. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.